Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about CanadaLand and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support CanadaLand. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by Squarespace, where you can turn your great idea into a reality. They make it easier than ever to launch your passion project, showcase your work, sell products of any kind. They have beautiful templates. Check it all out at squarespace.com for a free trial. When you're ready to launch, use the offer code CanadaLand. Again, that is squarespace.com, offer code CanadaLand. You'll get 10% off. Journalist Sarah Haji. Hello. Hello. Uh, Sarah, it is nice to have you back. It's always a pleasure to be here. We're going to talk today about the cancellation of the play Slav, the musical about slaves that left out the E and the black people. <laughs> we are going to talk about the geopolitical and social consequences of a goateed dude bro in wraparound Oakleys copping a feel at a West Coast beer fest 18 years ago. Welcome back. This is These are good topics. I agree. I think this is, we're going to have a lot of fun with this. <laughs> Looking forward to it. <laughs> This show is brought to you by Wendy Crawford, Ryan Steele, Patrick Boyle, Martha Cote, Parveen Kaller, Ron Clancy, Nobu Edelman, and Joel Koop. 
I support Canada Land because you're thoughtful and your guests are thoughtful and the podcast is produced well. And this episode is brought to you by Hover. Sarah, when I decided to launch Canada Land, do you know who I used to get my domain? You'll never guess. Hover? Wow, you got that one. You nailed it. We're off to a very good start. I used Hover because I had I had used for other website projects, other domain sellers, and it was always just this atrocious, spammy, scammy, upselly process. Hover was just the opposite. It just made it really easy. Like they kind of help you find your domain, and if you can't get the one you want, they'll suggest alternates to you. And then they just never they never screwed me. They never they never tried to sell me something I didn't need. Uh, I want to point out something that they are offering now for aspiring and serial entrepreneurs, they have a conference. This is the Fireside Conference and Hover is their proud sponsor. This is an off the grid invite only event. This will be a great networking event if you are launching a business. There'll be venture capitalists, startups, tech enthusiasts and more. Check this out at firesideconf.com. Get your website launched with Hover and be prepared to pitch your awesome business at the Fireside Conference this year. Check it out, firesideconf.com. And this episode is brought to you by FreshBooks. Uh, FreshBooks, of course, is the founding sponsor of Canada Land. Hey, you're a freelancer. Yeah, I am. You can reclaim up to 192 hours a year of your precious time. That is how much time FreshBooks will save you. Perhaps you're thinking, like, I don't spend 192 hours filling out invoices. That's crazy. Well, that may be true, but you do a lot of other things. I imagine, Sarah, that FreshBooks allows you to do a lot a lot quicker and easier. One of which is like you don't have to chase people to get paid when you use FreshBooks because you get paid quicker, but also the big one being tax time. It saves you so much time when it is time to compile all of your records, when it's time to figure out your HST, when it's time to get everything to your accountant or to do your taxes yourself. That's how they get there, 192 hours. It adds up, Sarah. It does. That actually sounds pretty good. I just have a pile of receipts that I look at once a year. Hey, time is money. And that and that it weighs on you, that box of receipts. It's like it's a it's a messy psychic load to carry. Try FreshBooks out for free for 30 days. Unrestricted free trial for listeners of this show. Go to freshbooks.com slash Canadaland and enter Canadaland in the how did you hear about us section. Montreal International Jazz Festival describes slave as a journey from slavery to segregation to mass incarceration. This year's Montreal Jazz Festival was overshadowed by controversy over a show that triggered a heated debate, drawing international headlines. Slave featured mainly white actors dressed as cotton pickers working the fields and singing traditional African-American slave songs. All performances of the controversial jazz festival show Slave have now been cancelled. The production sparked those protests Okay, Sarah, by now I think that a lot of people are familiar with this, but I'm going to summarize what happened with this Robert Lepage production. Mm-hmm. Um, for those who didn't catch the story, um, this production, Slav, I'm not sure how to pronounce this. What do, you, do you think it's, it's... I think it's Slave, only because, well, it's about slaves, and the, there's a, a cool accent on the A. Like <laughs> an umlaut kind of... Wouldn't it be funny if the whole thing was about Slavs and that's what yeah. the whole... Con- no, it, it's <laughs> about slaves. It's about slavery. It draws upon the... The, the musical history of the old plantation South and uh, as sung by a cast of primarily white people. And there's two black people in the cast who have minor roles, uh, as I understand. I haven't seen the thing. And um, now no one will because they um, uh, increasing pressure and calls uh, that this was a culturally appropriate racist show led to the Montreal Jazz Festival canceling the production by Robert Lepage and the singer Betty Bonifaci. Did you happen to read the replies 
that those two creative uh, kind of heads of this production um, yeah. made. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't shocking what they said. They didn't, they weren't like, you know, this is a time of reflection and maybe we should think about this. And, you know, maybe we did make a mistake. It wasn't, it wasn't anything like that. He said, no one's ever accused me of this before. I made plays my whole life or whatever. Yeah. Something along those lines. And, right? and from my kind of like just paying attention to the, the media play out of this, um, that was the fun part because for all I knew that was true. But then Jake Kelly Nestruck, the uh, the theater guy at the Globe and Mail, was like, did Robert LePage just say that no one's ever accused him of racism before? Um, and he wrote a very, very funny and scathing column uh, saying like, dude, this isn't even the first time you've been accused of racism for something you had in that festival. <laughs> And he says, I could go on and on listing similar critical complaints. And he quotes from a, a piece in The Guardian, uh, the whiff of cultural colonialism in Lepage's mid-90s show The Seven Streams of the River Ota to the, quote, vile depiction of Jews in his production of the Busker's Opera, uh, which was called anti-Semitic by the, the Globe and Mail. So what what became clear from from uh, J. Kelly Nestruck's write-up is that Robert Lepage doesn't know that his work has had these issues for a very long time. Maybe he, he, he yeah. yeah, maybe it's he's more like, well, I've never seen this big of a controversy. No one's cared this much before. Also, uh, Bonifaci said it, she's colorblind, right? Yeah. Yes. Let's that's like my this is the defiance. Line. We see this again and again when these kind of like elder white creative people are accused of this. It, it's like, a you're calling me. A racist? I've, Me? Do you know what I've done? I've never said the N-word out loud. And 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 I've done so many works that are so anti-racist. And and B, mm-hmm. uh, you're an enemy of art, right? Is, yeah. is that like, you, you, this is censorship of art. Those are the kind of the two go-tos. Well, I think for them, for people who specifically are okay with cultural appropriation on any, like on any form of the spectrum, it's like, well, I can enjoy other cultures then. So black people should only like black things. White people should only like white things. When will it end? Like, that's the kind of argument they make where it's like, so I'm colorblind and I just enjoy what I want. And if I love black culture, I'm going to sing these slave songs. <laughs> I'm going to be kind to them. I, I actually completely understand where they're coming from. And I'll say this. Mm-hmm. I'll say this about the cultural appropriation debate writ large and what this ver- instance of it helped to illustrate for me. It's not a left versus right thing. Robert Lepage has a legitimate claim to being a progressive and an anti-racist and all these things. You know, he is a humanist work, uh, artist and Betty Bonifaci as well. In no way are they right wing. It's an old versus young thing. I don't know any young people who feel like, you know, wearing a bindi or like singing all of the lyrics of their favorite rap songs is like, you just feel embarrassed yeah, I by think, that. I think yes and also no, only because young people were once like that. I think it's maybe even more people are being held accountable like younger people are holding each other accountable more in a way that older people aren't like like we do have this kind of call-out culture where uh, if you know a younger celebrity or famous person does something that's culturally appropriative people will hold them accountable yeah and i feel like these people have gone so long well, well robert lepage has been going has been being held accountable but i mean i guess not to this degree where it has been like an international news story um so i think it's it's like also an accountability thing. I think that's part yeah. of it, but I also think that they are coming from a tradition in which they actually made it a virtue. Appropriation was oh, a yeah. virtue. Yeah, of course. And and uh, and that's the part where I understand. I don't agree, but I totally understand where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. And to some of the values that they're about, which is that culture is about 
appropriating and reimagining. Yeah. And, and Lepage says theater is about pretending that you're someone else. And Joseph Boyden says novel writing is about seeing the world through somebody else's eyes. All of that is true. That's how we make culture. But there's a conflation there. And, it, and, and where does it come out uh, in a most pointed way? Please, please forgive me. But in a Margaret Wente column about this. Oh, my girl, Margaret. Maggie, but, as I lovingly call her. No, I don't call her that. She takes it to the extreme <laughs> and, 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 and the logical extreme of these things to the most obvious. And she said. Yeah, maybe, let's, let's go through this. Okay. She, so she starts off and she's like, you know, it does look bad, I guess, uh, when you think about it. Slavery and a white person uh, presenting these slave songs. And then she goes in and she totally justifies it by saying Ms. Bonifaci had, has been performing these songs for 15 years based on material that she researched and developed herself. And it's like, so what? So so literally because she has been doing this for a certain amount of time gives her the right to do this? Oh, but it gets so like, much oh, worse. It does get worse. It gets so much worse. Here. Maybe we should ban white performers from singing rap, hip-hop, and the blues. Maybe we should ban every album the Rolling Stones ever made. Without the music they appropriated from black American culture, there would be no Rolling Stones. Or, for that matter, very much American music at all. That's so perfect to me. It's like, to her, to her and to a lot of people, I think, a lot of boomers, no Rolling Stones? <laughs> That's like no American music at all. First of all, they're British. They're not American. Yeah. And and the idea that there was no American music before the Rolling Stones, like to erase, you know, jazz and blues. Yeah. Um, that, that's just so risable. However, that's such a great example to prove the other side of it, right? Because the Rolling Stones came in in an era where if you looked at the scene of like who was recording and releasing commercial rock and roll music, I, I might get my dates a little bit wrong, but like late 50s, you would have trouble finding like more than a few white rock and roll guitarists. Mm -hmm. Fast forward like 10 years and you would have a hard time finding that many black rock and roll guitarists. Like rock and roll was taken completely over by British people and white people to the point where Jimi Hendrix was this weird anomaly. A black guy performing rock and roll was like mm -hmm. a weird thing. So that's not just an appropriation of culture. That was an economic appropriation that this major force of popular culture yeah. was just like not of any economic benefit to black people. And just like political, like who got who got to express themselves through rock and roll. W one decade, it's, it's black people. The next decade, it's white people. So this is our, yeah. like, it's, it's not some hazy, like woke, like cultural appropriation is not, I think people think of it as like, like oh, roll my eyes, cultural appropriation. Oh, this like, PC stuff again. But, it's actually yeah. a very practical matter and it happens again and again and again. I, I also think people like Margaret Wente, when they see things like this happening, like maybe I'm projecting, but I feel like there's a bit of a fear they have about there not being any white culture where it's kind of like, well, if we can't do things that black people do, then what can we do? Where <laughs> <laughs> it's like, they have nothing. Oh. And so for them, it's like, well, if we cannot pretend to be slaves... Then what? What's next? If Margaret Wente did not have uh, perceived woke culture to roll her eyes at, I'm not sure what she would write about. So, I think there's uh, <laughs> that's in play there too. Um, but the biggest thing that came out of this to me is is I I don't think that Lepage is a virulent racist. I don't think that Betty Bonifaci. Yeah. I, I think that these are people who, at a certain point, wanted to still do stuff that was about black culture, but stop listening to or seeing black people or, I, or maybe I, anybody. I think you know? it's for me when I think about white people thinking about racism, I feel like a lot of times they think, okay, as long as I'm not really 
uh, saying the N-word or like lynching people, then I'm not really a racist. But I feel like it's it's almost kind of meaningless to me in a way. They, they weren't doing this for any reason other than their own benefit, where it's there's no way you could have made this and been like, you know what? I'm really touched by these slave stories. Um, I really care about these stories. They need to be told. These songs are beautiful. And to just completely, almost completely erase the people, the group of people it affected the most. It's just so fully selfish. They acted in a racist way. And so for me, they are racist, whether they know they are or not, or whether they feel like they're causing harm, or whether they are malicious in their actions. To me, I still see it as like, that's a racist. You're racist. Sarah, you know that we have duly noted. Do you have something to note duly? Yes, I do. Um, layoffs. Yeah, more of them. More of them. Your um, old shop. It's really... Uh, okay, so I'm not trying to plug my own work here, but you can read it if you want. Um, but I actually have an essay that came out yesterday. Timing was... It, it just happened that way. Where can people find it? What's uh, it about? They can find it on hazlet.net, and it is about... Um, Media culture in general, I guess mostly North America, but specifically Canada, um, and how we view layoffs and employment. And the recent layoffs at Vice that were announced, for me, it's it's very sad because, I mean, I did work at Vice for almost a year last year, and I was laid off. And I'm really scared for my friends who work there, uh, really talented, hardworking people. And, and you're just kind of like, well, what are people supposed to do now? I think that people are shifting to other fields entirely. Yes. You know, people are mass mass exodus from journalism to, you know, and they're like politics, PR, advertising, marketing. They're sort of like the obvious places people go. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people are trying to start new things. And that's great. And um, to me, it's just, it, it it's so sad. I mean, I know people... This isn't the only industry that faces layoffs and, you know, weird kind of terms of employment and all these things. But to me, it's just so scary because so many people I know, myself included, like I would easily work at a tech company doing content, like the very mysterious word. Who knows what this content is? Mm-hmm. But I would be doing something kind of creative and I'd probably getting be getting paid way more than I've ever been paid for anything. Yep. Um, and ultimately, that's people need money, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's very sad. Uh, yeah. So I, I, I reached out to Chris Ball, the, the head of communications, the press flack for Vice Canada, when I found out about these cuts to get a bit of information on them. And, uh, he DM'd me back to say, nice to hear from you, Jesse. Uh, I am no longer with Vice Canada. Duly noted. I have something. Oh no. Um, (laughs) (laughs) it's, uh, it's a couple things from the Globe Mail. Uh, did you read this thing by Robert Fife today? This is quite the headline. Immigration Minister Ahmed Hussein spoke at venue known as Criminal Hangout. And this is a news story by the chief political correspondent of the Globe and Mail, probably Canada's most renowned political reporter, Robert Fife, where he has the scoop that our immigration minister, who does, as people say, about 10 events a day on the weekends, spoke at a Nigerian barbecue joint known as a criminal hangout. Are you joking? That sounds a little racist. I mean, it's like, first of all, unless the actual proprietor of the restaurant has a criminal record, which I don't believe he does from this report, like, are you 
like, are you putting this guy out of business? Or like, like, like you're, like that seems really just irresponsible to make that association with the Globe and Mail, like because this was I don't know the scene of where some investigations, like I think it, there were some court documents that this was the scene of where some allegedly criminal behavior took place. So this is a legitimate business that operates, and there's like nothing. They're not closed down. It's not like he went to some shady closed down barbecue. Like I, I'm trying to understand no, what makes not, something a criminal business. Yeah, it's not business. like this is like a mob owned enterprise. Like it's like <laughs> this is where the Black Axe hangs out, according to Robert Fife. Uh, and so, for, you know, I, my first thought was to the proprietor of this restaurant, who says in the piece, his quote is saying, this isn't fair. In fact, it was like, great, I'll quote you on that, and then we'll have balance. But uh, it's also not fair to Ahmed Hussein. Like, so the fuck what? And it was just maybe, you know, there's no trend here, but it was just a funny coincidence that Margaret Wente um, had a different <laughs> column in which she was kind of trotting out like, um, oh, you think there's a lot of murders in Toronto? Don't worry, everybody. This is the good news about the murders in Toronto. The good news is if you're not a certain kind of person, you, you're not going to get shot. And, and she basically goes on to say, like, that there's one of the victims. You know, it's, it's the old media trope of saying um, the victim was gang related. Yeah. You know, um, and that's just like code for um, this was like. Usually it's like a young black guy, so you don't have to worry, you know. Yeah. But but it, you know it, it, she couldn't even get that far because one of the victims was not gang related. Uh, she says it seems he was targeted. He was shot at an apartment complex with a long history of gun violence. So this was the first time <laughs> I'm used to the victim had a long history of violence. Oh, okay, he's a but criminal. But he was the place had a, has a history of violence. The building had a bad reputation. He shouldn't have been there. I guess I don't hang out in buildings with rep- bad reputations for uh, gun violence. I don't have to worry about. It's this. funny because it's like I under like in a way the a point can be made that it's not um this like random gun violence where someone's on a shooting spree running around the streets of Toronto so you have to be worried about you know getting shot but at the same time it's more like maybe we shouldn't care cuz this is gang related I mean of course the homicide rate in Toronto this year does have to do with 10 homicides that were random people plow mm-hmm. down on a sidewalk by Alex Manassian um, you know, so like the idea that you're inured to this, this year of, of high murder rate, um, because you don't identify as being from a certain kind of neighborhood or a certain color of skin, uh, it, you know, she's doing somersaults here to tell her readers, don't worry, this isn't your problem. Um, but you know, I did notice two pieces in the Globe and Mail that were casting all sorts of shady aspersions on barbecue joints and apartment complexes. Duly noted. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. It doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer. And it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, 
there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. Okay, before our last topic, sir, I want to thank our final sponsor, and that is Squarespace. Who allow you to turn your great idea into a reality. They make it easier than ever to launch your passion project, showcase your work, sell products of any kind with beautiful templates and the ability to customize just about anything. You can easily make a beautiful website yourself. If you do get stuck, and it's hard to get stuck when making a Squarespace website because these websites are kind of pre-made and you just sort of tailor them to your needs. But, you know, stuff happens. If you need help, they have 24-7 award-winning customer support that is there to help. They're actually working ahead to make sure you don't need to call them because unlike just like building a website and leaving it there, they're constantly updating and patching the website and making it compatible with everything out there and making it work on a phone or a tablet or whatever. Check out squarespace.com. Get a free trial. When you're ready to launch, you can build your site before you give them any money. See if you like your site. When you're ready to go, the offer code is CanadaLand and that'll get you 10% off of your first purchase of a website. That is squarespace.com. Offer code CanadaLand for 10% off. I was honestly hopeful that this groping thing was dead, but uh, it, it has had another chapter. I think largely because the media has been really going after the, the, the reporter and to the point where she sort of did this thing. I think she handled it very like savvily. They wanted her to come forward. They wanted her to tell them like, because we still don't know, like what did Trudeau do to you? What Because the original editorial is like, uh, the word groping, he, he says, it, I, I was forward with you. Uh, she calls it groping. We have confirmed that she wrote that mm-hmm. unbyland un- editorial. They wanted her on camera. They wanted her in interviews. Finally, she said, I'll give you my name. Now leave me the fuck alone. Yeah, it's, it's like she had to dox herself so she could. Be yeah. Like- and, and, you know, for every one media person who's beating down her door, there's like hundreds of partisan internet Mm-hmm. accounts that are, uh, because, you know, this is the taste of blood is in Trudeau's enemy's mouth. Uh, the hypocrisy, he has a zero tolerance policy. Mm-hmm. And now like, what do they think? They think he's going to like resign over this? Yeah. Like, is that like, <laughs> I think they, I think no one expects him to resign obviously, but I feel like it's, um, it's kind of like, well, what about this? So now what's your move? What are you going to say? I guess we just can't believe anything that any woman says if this isn't true, Trudeau. Like, you know, it's kind of like, how far can we take this? Yeah, it's it's a very childish thing that's being done. I'll say this, like, I don't think anyone is saying that Trudeau is blameless or handling this particularly well. Like, there is a degree of hypocrisy in what he's doing. Oh, for sure. And, I, you know, I think there's, like, ways in which we can kind of say, like, oh, this could have been better handled if he'd shown some contrition or if he'd come out, a, a, you know, in front of it himself instead of putting out a PMO statement. Obviously, you know, we talked on the show in the past about um, it was not a dumb calculation on, on the PMO's part to think that this might um, – 
blow over because the Canadian media at first, of course, didn't even report on this outside mm-hmm. of Frank. And it wasn't until Breitbart picked it up and then the New York Times picked it up. And then, and then you know, me and everybody else here is like, well, we can't ignore it if it's in the New York Times. I mean, my job is to talk about what's in the media. And then the Canadian media is subservient to the American media. So if the American media is covering it, like we're not going to just pretend that it never yeah. happened. So then the whole thing kicks into high gear. And so here we are. Like, I think the first thing is, is that there was a lot of, you know, talk on Twitter, but like leave this woman alone. Like, like, like where's yeah. the shame on the media's part? Like, like she's been very, very clear. Where, where did you stand on that? Cause like you might have been given that task in a newsroom. You're on this story. It's so complicated to me. Yeah. I feel like it's, I don't know if there's any fully correct answer because I could really see it from both angles in a way. So there was a lot of talk before she actually released the statement with her name and everything. And it was a, a lot of people going by what the CBC said, where she said, I don't want to talk about this. I don't want anyone to contact me. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think at that point, a lot of journalists and Canadian media were making the argument um, saying, you know, like, yeah, she made that statement to CBC. But as my job, I need her to make that statement to me before I can move on. Because I, I Really? Yes, because I think a lot of people were saying um, things like, well, you know, she said it to this one journalist, maybe she won't say it to me. Wait, like, what? You can't take the CBC's word for it? Or, 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 like, that, or that she'll be like, oh, you're from the National like, Post. Like maybe there's different case. circumstances. Like I, I'm not going to say like, well, she said it to one person, so therefore that's her fine. Like, you know, I, I feel like in some ways I, I kind of can see how that makes sense. But at the same time, it's... Someone who really is just like, I don't want to talk about this. Yeah. I'm over it. This got blown out. I, I don't know if she said this, but it seems like everything just got blown out of proportion. Something she probably hasn't thought of in like at least 18 years, like as something super serious. And then, you know, I, I feel like there's just been so much talk on both sides of people being like, leave her alone. And like, hey, maybe we should talk to her. <laughs> that it's just like she had no choice but to say something. Yeah. No, I, and, and it seems that that has has worked. I, I don't damn anybody whose job it was to try to call her, but I think it did. Like the point I made was like, if, if this is anything to do, and obviously it is with, with me too. And with this, this, mm-hmm. you know, new place we're at with recognizing that these things have happened and we have to deal with them. Uh, and, and if that whole movement has anything to do with giving a voice to people who were previously silenced, then of course it has to matter that yeah. the woman at the, at the at the center of this, who it happened to, doesn't want us to be talking about it, right? You can't pretend that you're doing anything on her behalf or on women's behalf when you're just like doing it against the wishes of the person who's just like probably having their life turned uh, upside down over this. Yeah, and I think there are some activists uh, or people who, you know, do a lot of education about sexual harassment and assault and sexual violence who are just kind of like, yeah, like she said, leave her alone. Like why, if what happened to her was serious, it's like, if she doesn't want to talk about it, she shouldn't have to relive it. But also she doesn't owe anyone an answer just because this has been turned into this international news story about whether the prime minister had groped her or not yeah. or what his reaction is. Like, in a way, like she's been removed from it completely. Like Her narrative doesn't even matter anymore. What more can she say about something that happened 18 years ago? Well, I mean, she, she can say more. She can tell us what happened. We, like, I don't want to ever talk about this again. It's been so blown out of proportion. I'm sure it'll come back again. I'm sure it'll be part of the next, um, oh, of course. The next so, election like, campaign. Well, what did he do? Yeah, the last yeah. thing I have to say for it, well, for now, the last thing I have to say for it for now is just the irony. The irony <laughs> of a lot of the same people who are constantly going on, Me Too has gone too far, a guy can't wink without losing his job, mm-hmm. it's a witch hunt, it's a witch hunt. Those same people are now suggesting that the Prime Minister of Canada should have to resign because 18 years ago, 
there was an allegation of some unknown impropriety that he says he doesn't remember and that the accuser does not want to pursue. That would be the most extreme manifestation of yeah, a Me Too complaint but what, ever having that but kind what of they want it has Again, it has nothing to do with her or sexual assault or Me Too. It's more like, well, two can play that game. You're saying that all these people should step down for literally raping people. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like, it, to me, it's but just But that's like, where they yeah. would move the but bar. It is. It and is then that would apply to made, everyone. Like, yeah. the ones who are trying to put the bar at the most puritanical extreme witch hunt place are actually the ones who are usually anti, anti Me Too, Me Too is a witch mm, hunt. Of course. And yeah, then yeah. that would be the rules for everybody. Like, that's, you know, I, I'm, I'm not aware of anybody from some kind of crusading feminist point of view who is suggesting anything as extreme as I that. don't think any. I don't. I haven't heard of a single feminist I know or activist saying like he should step down. It's more like he should address this in a better way, or at least be clearer in what he's saying. Or you know. Yeah. No. I mean, I think let's not pretend that the people who are calling for his head on a plate and they're and they're out there. Let's not pretend that they have anything to do with advocating yeah, no, for women. No, they don't. They don't. It's just pure partisanship. Okay, that's our show, Sarah. That's Canada Land Shortcuts. People can email me about it at Jesse at CanadaLandShow.com. I read everything that you send me. Our Twitter account is at CanadaLand. Sarah, what is yours? Twitter.com slash geekylongs. And I still don't have a website. No website. You know better. It's still no website. Our website is CanadaLandShow.com. Our crowdfunding site is Patreon.com slash CanadaLand. I will remind you that this is a summer schedule episode of CanadaLand. What that means is we do shortcuts one week, CanadaLand the next, instead of two shows a week. Join us on Monday for the next Canada Land, where I will have a special new something to announce. This episode of Shortcuts is produced by Latifa Abdin. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you like what we do, please support us on Patreon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.